Welcome to the Delicate with me, James Delicate. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I'm so looking forward to talking to Sandy Adams. Sandy, I um I heard one of your podcasts a while back, and the thing that really struck me and delighted me was that you're the kind of person who can explain what's going on in a way that doesn't frighten the the horses for people of a normie persuasion because you sound measured and not kind of conspiratorial i i, I mean I, I i think that you're a sort of regular person who's been mugged by reality and you've suddenly realized what's what's going on so i think let's just launch into it and, and tell me tell me about your 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 journey your journey of discovery and tell us about yourself first of all well you know i'm i'm a mother i'm a grandmother um i you know i write stuff now and i i sort of i'm, I'm a researcher into united nations agenda 21 2030 and beyond because it's become far more than that um and uh, you know i started off really as a, a you know as a normal per- I am a normal person, but but we um, all are. <laughs> we're all normal, aren't we? Uh, but we, you know, our eyes have been opened, to be honest, yeah. and that's that's really what happened to me quite a while ago. Um, but I didn't realise where it was all going. I just kind of went with it, if you know what I mean. And what happened was, I was working. Um, I set. I started off uh, going to art school. I, w- I really wanted to, to be a, a set designer in theatre, which is what, what happened. I was a set designer in theatre, uh, and, and I did prop work in scenic art and used to paint big backdrops. And I worked at the Old Vic and the National Theatre and places like that. Um, and I loved I loved doing what I was doing. But as as things went on, you know, theatre funding was you know happened, and there wasn't so much money in theatre. And I went into a bit of film and TV, but that was all kind of being a bit cut. But what was really, really going very well was corporate live events. And I got into that because by that time I had a mortgage and children. And I thought, well, maybe this is the way to go. Um, And I started being a bit naive. I started working for some of the big corporates. And within those corporates were um, uh, people like, I mean, companies like Microsoft and uh, Google and Bloomberg and GlaxoSmithKline. Um, and I suddenly realized what I was in. And, and yet all around me, all the people around me thought it was really cool. And I found myself, I did actually meet Bill Gates. I worked on a project um, called Microsoft Life uh, Squared. And it was, it was about creating a sort of mini smart city in Chelsea. Uh, that was all wired up to this AI technology, and it was in the in the uh, sort of early two thousands, mid two thousand and four, something like that. Um, and it, I, I had to design this, you know, the interiors for all the buildings around this square. It was a disused school, and all the tech was going in. And I thought well, this is really spooky, you know, things like um, nobody had really heard of GPS then, and there was there was cars within that square that had GPS in them. And there was all the technology that was going into the homes and the cafe, fake cafe we'd made and a visitor center. And and this was a six, I think it was actually open for about seven weeks and delegates flew from all over the world to see this um, installation. It was, a, it was a proper sort of Microsoft installation. And 
I just got a really weird feeling from the whole thing. And, you know, the, the whole thing around Bill Gates arriving and this almost like worship going on. And I thought this is very strange. And then I worked for Google, which was an even worse experience, actually. But I won't go into that. I've, met I've got to pause you there, Sandy. You, 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 yeah. you, you tell me you've actually met Bill Gates. Did, did you yeah. smell the whiff of sulfur? When uh, yes. What was he like? I, di I didn't get a good feeling. I, 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 he was he was just very, very geeky. And um, uh, he didn't say much. He was... He, he just looks like, I don't know, I, I, you know, we had to sort of line up and shake his hand and I, I didn't, I just didn't get a good feeling from him at all. I didn't like, you know, there were a lot of PAs running around him looking after his, you know, his needs and everything. And he, I don't know, he was just very, very strange and he didn't engage with anyone. He was very, what, very. What, what are his needs? What, what does he, does what he have a needs? rider where he, he, he drinks he, weird you know, stuff? They, they, <laughs> Blood, they, they, they offered him, you know, sort of amazing food and what have you. And he just wanted crisps and Pepsi Cola. I mean, it's very, very odd. <laughs> he didn't really want to eat at all or, or drink anything um, significant. He's got this. He's got this sort of what what I can only imagine is is very carefully cultivated. This he wears these these kind of cozy sort of Valdunican style yeah. sweaters, which which. Which which seem to exude this sense of I'm an ordinary guy. I'm just down to earth and and stuff. Yeah, he's I I I just got I don't know. I think he's I think he could be controlled. I don't know, but he didn't. There was something about him then. And that was the young Bill Gates actually, because that you know it was you know he was much younger than he is now. So I you know I don't know because I was quite young then and I I hadn't picked up on you know all of this stuff. Now I. You know, I really do realise that he's actually uh, quite a dark person, actually. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, they're, they're all in this huge machine, you know, that they think they think they're doing good and, and they're clearly not. Um, and whether they are, are aware of the damage they're doing to humanity, I've no idea. You'd have to almost have a conversation with him about that. But, you know, interestingly, you know, all his TED talks, he's quite open about depopulation and stuff like that. And you, you just think, well, how can somebody be fully human wanting to destroy the human race? I don't know, but he's, or maybe he classes himself as a God that, that isn't really part of our world. Isn't that, isn't that part of the shtick though? That, that, yeah. that he yeah. goes, he, he, uh, you say he looks geeky. Mm. Uh, he wears his, his, his sweaters and he says this stuff, which is at odds with the person you see in front of you, he seems quite boring in a way. Mm. And yet he says this stuff, which is really outlandish. Mm. And and he he sort of reminds me a bit of Yuval Harari in a funny sort of way. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough. Um, yeah, you, Yuval Harari, you know, says all this stuff in a in a very kind of innocent way. I don't know if you listen to him. He's um, <coughs> Sorry, I've got to take a cough. Sweet. <coughs> they're probably they're, they're probably they're probably poisoning you, Sandy. They, Don't they, know. They've, they've, <coughs> Sorry, I have a bit of a cough. So you're on the list. It starts with a cough. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, they, we've got all these sort of strange characters all playing a part in this whole, literally, you know, uh, almost uh, destruction of of everything that we know and love and. Um, you know, any any 
that they don't seem to have this human, you know, sort of soul that we have. I don't quite get them. They, they actually want the destruction of the human condition, which I find really bizarre. Yeah. So, so, so you, you, your, your um, antennae started twitching, but, but yes, how did you, how did you confirm your, your yeah. suspicions? I think, I think it was um, when, I, when I was working for Google and I had to work on a, an event in Dublin and it was all about internet censorship, actually. But at that time, they were sort of covering it up with this facade of, um, it was called the Summit Against Violent Extremism. And <laughs> SAVE, it was called. You know, they have those acronyms. Yeah. And it was called SAVE. And I, I realised, you know, that, that actually it was about domestic terrorism. So they would try, they, they, they got all these terrorists and they, they said, oh, it's to stop terrorism on the internet. And they got all these ex-terrorists. How do you find ex-terrorists? I don't know, but, but, you know, people that have been in the IRA and the, I don't know, Palestine Liberation Army or something. And they got them to explain how they'd organised themselves on the internet. And I I just kept saying to my colleagues, don't you, don't you think this is a bit of a weird conference? And they were going, no, 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 it's, you know, it's trying to help us, you know, so that we don't get, you know, these uh, terrorist attacks. And my spidey sense was really going crazy, maybe because I don't know why. I mean, I'm very sensitive to all this kind of stuff. And I thought, hmm, weird. And then, of course, you know, you meet you meet Eric Schmidt in the bar and he's bragging about nobody in Google pays tax and how he's going to be flying into Glastonbury Festival to meet his friends Jay-Z and Beyonce in a helicopter. And I'm thinking, ooh, don't like the sound of all this. So, um, but I seem to be alone in that, in, in the industry I was working in. They, they didn't seem to, everyone else thought it was so cool to be working with these people. And I just got this absolute revulsion. So, so I was a bit on my own on, on, in that respect, and, you know, and particularly also in my marriage, you know. My ex-husband works, still works for Tony Blair, you know, out in the Middle East, you know, with impact investing, you know, which is something that I really don't agree with, but we won't go into that now. But, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing, you know, was really kicking off for me. And I, I found, I got to the point where I, I just couldn't work in that industry anymore. I, I almost had, well, I call it a breakthrough, but everyone said I'd gone nuts. <laughs> I had this sort of breakthrough where I thought I can't do this anymore. And, uh, it caused a big, big problem, you know, in my marriage and everything. And I just knew that I was doing the right thing. I just literally cut myself off from it. You know, we split up, you know, my kids all went off to university and they were in the West country. So I moved to the West country. Um, and I started really researching into, I don't know how I found agenda 21. I really don't know. Um, I started researching into Agenda 21, which for me was, well, I read, I, I read Rosa Corrie's book, um, Behind the Green Mask, and I suddenly saw this, this world that they wanted to create using the Trojan horse of, of anthropogenic global warming at the time. Yeah. And, I, and, and how they, they would use that to actually gain control of all the resources on the planet and how this would become... Um, a, a, a control mechanism, you know, that we're, you know, that we're seeing right now in action. You know, this whole, you know, what, what they're throwing at us now is the culmination of the decisions that were made prior to 1992, the Earth Summit, but were really put into action at the Earth Summit in 1992 and beyond. So, you know, Agenda 21 was the agenda for the 21st century, and it was actually put into action 
in the Earth Summit, at the Earth Summit in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro. And then in, in 2015, they hadn't met their goals. They, made, they put together some goals, which were the Millennium Development Goals. Those goals weren't met. So then they revised it and they turned it into Agenda 2030, the agenda for, the 20, for, for 2030 um, in 2015, sort of endorsed by the Pope in Rome with President Obama. So really 2030 is just a goal. It's, it's the same thing, but they've reinvented it, they've rebranded it, and it's, it's to, to, to achieve all these goals that they wanted to. So at the Earth Summit, you know, it was all held in Rio de Janeiro, um, and it was it was really a bunch of, of globalists getting together and inviting 178 leaders of countries, or the, basically every world leader in the world, getting them to Rio, giving them a fabulous time. You know, the Royal Yacht Britannia was in the harbour. There was Maurice Strong's yacht. There was the Rockefeller's yacht. There was Al Gore there with all his, you know, sort of climate stuff. And what they what they really did was they guilt tripped, you know, all of these, and and actually probably got them a bit pissed and you know having a having a good time and said you know you've got to sign up to this to save the planet because, you know, it's dying and if you don't do this then you know the planet will die and all of these world leaders signed up to Agenda Twenty One, and what's interesting is from there they then got a plan to bring it from global to local. So they created something called ICLE, which is the International Council for Local and Environmental um, Initiatives, which is almost like an NGO that brings the, the whole Agenda 21 policies into your town council, which is what we're seeing now with the 15-minute cities. Um, and it's taken a while, obviously, but that was implemented at the Earth Summit. And yes. Of course, I, when I was researching all this, I thought, well, what they'll do is they'll just use climate change and people will get wind of that and not buy into it. You know, I really thought, yes, this is this is what they'll do. Um, and, you know, they 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 they, they the, the, the MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals that they set up at the at the Earth Summit did fail. And so and they, they do fail every now and then. I mean, they, they sometimes can't implement these things. So then in 2015, as I said, they had Agenda 2030, where they changed the seven millennium development goals into the 17 sustainable development goals. And all of them are a bit nefarious, if you care to look at them on the internet. They're, they're all about basically controlling everything, you know, the land, the sea, education, uh, uh, health, just about everything. It's about, you know, control of every aspect of our lives. And so, you know, this this whole thing just kind of was progressed to, to 2030. And then, I, you know, I thought, well, they'll never get away with this because people will wise up to anthropogenic global warming, which a lot of people have. Um, but then, you know, then this, you know, that suddenly the pandemic hit. And that, that was also a very interesting process because in, I think it was 2019, uh, Klaus Schwab met with Antonio Guterres of the United Nations because obviously United, the Agenda 21 is a United Nations initiative. Um, and he met with um, Antonio Guterres, who was the, um, I think he was the director of the, of the UN at that point, and he still is. Um, and they, they got together and they, this is in June 2019, and they, they wanted to accelerate 
the 17 goals of Agenda 21. So they had a meeting called the Strategic uh, Framework Partnership Meeting in Geneva uh, at the United Nations to come and try and accelerate these goals that weren't moving fast enough for them, you know, on, on climate change. And uh, they, they held a meeting and they, they had photographs taken. And then weirdly, four months later, we had Event 201 with Antonio Guterres, with the World Economic Forum. But added on was Bill and Melinda Gates at the Johns Hopkins Institute in New York. And they held this tabletop exercise, which was a what if, what if there was a pandemic in a third world country and it got loose in a wet market in Brazil? And what would we do about it? And it was so close to what really happened. And of course, Bill and Melinda were there saying, we can help, we've got the vaccine, da da da. And the rest is kind of history, really. And what, what we saw was a planned operation, you know, of, of, of world leaders accelerating, accelerating this, 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 um, this agenda that they wanted to do. Um, and it literally, I mean, it was in, I think it was in November, uh, they held the, um, this, this meeting in this tabletop exercise. You can look at, look it up. It's still online. I think at event 201 and you can look at it and, the, it accelerated it. It made everybody stand up. And, and then, of course, when the pandemic pandemic did hit, everyone sort of thought, well, we'll we'll put we'll put in that that sort of that plan that Bill and Melinda Gates had got. Yeah. So it all it all happened almost organically. Yes. And so they, it, it, what it did is it opened up an opportunity to actually accelerate it, but also to bring in all this stuff that we're seeing now, the CBDCs, you know, all the infrastructure that they were putting in whilst we were in lockdown, all that literally, all the um, the 5G stuff and the stuff that needs to make that all work, um, you know, all the technology, the AI that they need to implement these structures was all put in when we were asleep and locked down. And all of this is there. It's waiting to just literally kick in this AI. And for me, it, at the moment, it's a battle. It's a battle for humanity and for us to remain human, because as we know, they've got the transhumanism agenda going on as well. So this is this is really an attack and a total assault on, on the human condition. Yes. I just wanted to, 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 to rewind a, a, a second, because mm. uh, what you're describing, it seems to me, is, well, problem, reaction, solution. Yeah. And what they do at these conferences, often given really boring names so, so that so that ordinary people think, oh, God, it's just the it's just the international bureaucracy having more of their interminable meetings and yawn. And they 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 set up these notions in the in, for the benefit of the media, presumably that. They are combating things which every reasonable person would wish to see uh, dealt with. So, for example, terrorism, you know, yeah, terrorism's bad. We must, we must, yes, sure, we must be fighting terrorism or, or, or the environment, the environment is, is, is in, in peril. So they have these headline stories for the benefit of the, the dumb populace because they, they treat us like idiots. And, and, and in many cases, I think probably, they're right to treat us like idiots because we, we, we do swallow this stuff. But what you're saying, as, as I understand it, is, is that they've already decided what the agenda is going to be. They, they just 
um, have these sort of smoke and mirrors distractions to in the, to give them a fig leaf of respectability while they get on with with introducing all these regulations that are going to turn us into digital slaves. Now, am I right in thinking you 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 have a a thick document or two which details their plans? Tell me about that. Uh, I do. Sadly, I don't have it with me because I'm, I'm, as I told you yesterday, I'm staying at my son's. Um, and I wish I'd brought it with me, but I didn't know I was going to do this. No. But it's, um, the, you, can, you can look at, you, you can actually buy Agenda 21 online from the United Nations or Amazon or wherever you like. And you look through it and it's in that awful sort of doublespeak, that, that kind of Milton Erickson word salad of stuff. But it, it is all about um, uh, restricting the, the damage that humans have done on the planet, and it's in forty-two chapters. And it's oh, sorry, <laughs> a bit wobbly. Um, uh, so it's it's really um, it's putting it into into a, a nutshell. Um, prior, after after Agenda Twenty One was published in nineteen ninety-seven, I think it was, or nineteen ninety-five. I beg your pardon. They published something called the Global Diversity Assessment, which was I mean, if you think of Agenda 21, the 42-page document that you can buy online, qu still quite happily, that was, the, that was the, the plan. But the Global Diversity Assessment was massive. It was, it's over 1,000 pages long. It's nearly 2,000 pages long, actually. And it's, um, it's, it's huge. It's a great big book. Uh, and I managed to get a copy of it in, I think it was 2013, and I paid £50 for it, which was quite a lot of money in then. And I, I, you know, people struggle to get the actual hard copy now. I don't know whether, I don't think they publish it. Anymore. You can find it online, but it's very difficult, as you know, to look at something and download something so enormous online. But people are, people have I've sort of flagged it up. But in that, that was, that was Agenda 21 put into action. And they, they've literally, it's a control and inventory of every single resource on our planet and how they're going to do it. And it's, it catalogues every single endangered species, every single endangered plant, uh, all the countries in the world, what they're going to do with it, how they're going to manage. And it was, it's, a, it's a management structure of managing the entire world's resources. And in, within that, um, it talks, you know, it really does say that the human beings are responsible for all this. And on page 993 of the Global Diversity Assessment, it talks about how we have to be contained in certain areas and not allowed into nature. And we have corridors running in between um, where, where we're supposed to be. So they're talking about um, human settlement zones, which they... they um, are quite open about and they talk about the wildlands project of, um, of america which they were associated with which which you know the un were associated with the wildlands project which was really a map of america and how it was going to be zoned into human settlement zones and that there were corridors in between that would only be for federal use and um and military use and the people would be actually in these zones that they couldn't leave like the hunger games Exactly. It's a very Hunger Games situation. And I, I honestly believe that that book was not a book of fiction. I think somebody, I can't remember who wrote it now, but it was made into a film. But that is really the, the end game is to have us in these smart cities and 
and, and well, they call them human settlement zones, where and, and we're seeing this in a, you know, in a soft, smart city agenda with the 15 minute cities in all the towns that they're trying to implement. Which have cropped up almost simultaneously, yes. not just in the UK, but around yeah. the world. And people are thinking, oh, it's just an Oxford problem, no. just a Bath problem. It's not, is it? It's a global, it's a global, it's a global plan. It's a global action plan for the world. Agenda 21, 2030 is a global action plan for the world. It's been brought in uh, through ICLEI from global to local. And all those policies in, are in your town council now. And that's what ICLEI was for. That's the, you know, I think I mentioned it before. It's the, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives. So it was almost like a, an NGO that came into every town and said to every town council, do you want to save the planet? You need to have these initiatives in place. And that's what they're doing. And whether people are aware of it in their local councils, but it seems to be this whole commutarian plan that's been rolled out. And it's very much in the, you know, the needs of the community come above the needs of the individual. And that if you if you don't go along with this, then you're not saving the planet and you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. So so oh, it's, yeah. it's it's they've, they've made a very clever calculation, haven't they? Which is that. Look at the kind of person who wants to get involved in local politics, local government. I mean, number one, they're going to be busybodies of some kind they're going yeah. to want to they're yeah. going to affect change and and use their their power at a local level two they're probably quite middle middle brow intellectually they're not going to be the brightest and best because they wouldn't be working for for, for, for local councils they'd be they'd be probably working in the in, in the private sector um three they're going to be um ideologically geared towards the power of the state being a good thing because they yeah. want to work in local government rather than in, in, in the private sector. Um, and so that combination is quite toxic. This is, this is, this is very fertile ground for, for a supranational body like the ICLA as, um, or, you know, the, the people who are pushing the Rio Earth Summit to say, as you say, this is a serious climate problem you you can do your bit on the local level which, which which explains so many people's experience you know that that they wonder why they've had to sort out their 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 rubbish into increasingly diverse spreads of you know one for one color-coded bin bin liner for that another one for this and and, and so on and all these regulations zoning regulations and stuff so i i think you've you, you've 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 discovered a major piece of the jigsaw that was missing in a lot of people's imagination. They just didn't know where did all this stuff come from? Well, you know, it goes, it goes back a long way. I don't know if, if you ever read Patrick Wood's work. I mean, he wrote a yes. wonderful book called Technocracy Rising. And I really, I love him. I think he's fantastic. And as we know that the, the Agenda 21 really has its origins in the 1930s, because then there was this commutarian plan then uh, that came out of Columbia University, where you had um, these social engineers like uh, M. Scott Hubbard, and I, th I think it was, um, what was his name? The other guy was called, um, there was Mark, oh yeah, that was uh, Howard Scott and M. M. K. Hubbard. Sorry, I got the names wrong. Howard Scott and M. K. Hubbard. And they were sort of political scientists and uh, activists working in Columbia University at the time. And um, they set up something called Technocracy Inc., which is still actually uh, active today, that company. 
Um, but this, we're talking about the 1930s when um, they'd had this terrible depression in America and they wanted to uh, kind of reinvent the whole of society in this rather um, socialist way and get rid of uh, capitalism. And the way that they, they thought they could do this was by getting rid of the price-based economy and turning it into an energy-based economy. So this is nothing new. What they're trying to do now is nothing new because they tried to do it in the 1930s. It didn't actually gain any traction um, because I think uh, the, um, the, the, the I think the Second World War kicked in and, and kind of, you know, it, it all got lost somewhere. But they really wanted, were trying to push this agenda. And what's interesting is that, that Technocracy Inc. really was very active between 1930 and 1947. Yeah. And... Um, Elon Musk's grandfather was quite instrumental in this. He was, his name was Joshua Haldeman, and he was part of Technocracy Inc. And he really pushed it. I mean, I think their final push was in 1947, and then it was lost. They, they, they didn't do any more after that until the reinvention of the technocracy movement in 1971 by Zbigniew Brzezinski, and I'll go into that in a minute. But Joshua Haldeman created this, this what they call the Grey Convoy, to raise awareness of this plan of, of getting rid of capitalism and replacing it with this um, a form of, of, I suppose it was it was really an you know an energy energy based um, economy trying to replace it. And he went from I think he they they, they got about three or four hundred cars and spades sprayed them grey, put the Technocracy Inc. logo on them. You can find this on on uh, on a wonderful video on. Um, I think it's I think it's um, YouTube, and they went from Vancouver right up uh, from sorry from California right up to Vancouver. This whole convoy, and it was financed by by the Masonic temples. So he was actually speaking at every Masonic temple right the way up from California to Vancouver, pushing this agenda, and it's it's just bizarre. And then it sort of died a death for some reason, and then. They started, I think 1971 is when Zbigniew Brzezinski decided to re reignite the technocracy movement. And with he David Rockefeller. Exactly, exactly, with, yeah. And so they, they sort of ignited it, and I think he wrote a book called, you know, America's Role in the Technocratic Age and all that sort of thing. And that's when the three Club of Rome reports that really are the bones of Agenda 21 were published from 1971 onwards. The first one was Limits to Growth, now, these make up the plan for Agenda 21, and that was all about population and depopulation. It's called yeah. Limits to Growth. The second one was um, in 1987, and it's called Our Common Future, written by Grohal and Brundtland, who was the, the socialist prime minister, prime minister of Norway at the time. And she, she had this plan that really uh, the, the world's wealth should be redistributed to the third world because... We in the West with big polluters, we've, we've, we've overstepped the mark, capitalism's gone rampant, we have to make reparations to India and China, which is actually what happened. And that's why our, our, our whole manufacturing base went in the 1980s over to India and China. And it's interesting that they're now the big polluters, but they're not being sanctioned. So it's all a big plan, really, to sort of destroy the West. If it's I really very interesting, just to pick you up on that, on, on that point. Yeah. There's one of the, the lines I'm sometimes fed by people who are determined to believe that it's cock up rather than conspiracy. They say, well, you only have to look at how incompetent uh, local government 
is they couldn't run a bath, let alone a, a major major conspiracy. Meanwhile, you've you've demonstrated what people have, have often wondered about, which is why or why was all our industry offshored? You know, we were told there was this thing going on called called globalism. Uh, you know, why why was this all this car manufacture? outsourced from from flint michigan why did it why did that industry die you know um and this makes sense it was all planned that way it's all been planned every single step of the way it's been planned well you know i i've actually done a timeline of agenda 21 going right back to 1875 with the biosphere project so it's it's 1874 what's that how does it go well it's 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 how how they um how how all these philanthropists got together and decided that 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 the planet was um, a living breathing entity and that humans were bad and that was called the biosphere um uh project and and it was promoted that man was bad and we had to be controlled and then who, who was behind that any, um, any names oh, we know? Uh, no, who's that? Let me just have a look. I've still got, I've got the timeline here. You while, you're, while you're looking, by the way, I've, yeah. I've noticed another thing. You, you mentioned um, uh, M.K. Hubbard. Um, yeah. He, of course, was the guy who invented Heat peak oil, oil theory. Yes, now, what, what, when I wrote my, my book on the, on the environmentalism, watermelons which which first gave me my insight into how how these globalist organizations work uh i looked at peak oil theory and peak oil theory is 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 this notion he promoted that soon this resource this scarce resource as we must learn to call it um is is running out and soon we'd be forced to go to move on to different things and it kept being disproved. They always found new reserves. I mean, I think some of us don't even believe that oil is a limited resource. So, that, you know, if you believe in abiotic oil, I, th I yeah. think that the, the idea that it's scarce is, is, is part no, it's, of it's the... No, it's always abundant. Yeah, in abundant. fact, I did, I did talk to uh, oil people about this. They said there's no scarcity of oil whatsoever. You yes. know, it's there and it's in abundance. You know, we, I think it's something that naturally occurs in the earth. But to be honest. Yeah. They've, been, they've been coming up with these bullshit theories about um overpopulation about scarcity for a very long time you think about thomas malthus Ooh. and malthusian yeah. theory is another one which has again been repeatedly been debunked by by reality and yet they go on pushing this stuff mm. regardless yeah yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, th this has been a, a quite a long-term plan. Um, actually, the person that brought in the biosphere concept was a chap called Suess, S-U-E-S-S. I've got to research a little bit more about this because I'm, I'm actually writing a book. At Not the... Dr. Seuss. No. <laughs> I wonder. No, it couldn't be, could it? Maybe. Well, it's he, was a... called, no, he, he was called Theodore Geisler, I think, in real life. Oh, so well, maybe. Been... Maybe he know. borrowed the name from... Maybe, maybe. And then, you see, in 1933, you had the Wilderness Society was formed, and you've got things like um, the National Parks Institute in 51, and it goes on this, this whole timeline of the, you know, a big thing was the, um, the Lima Declaration uh, on sort of like um, uh, strategies of, of conservation, which was a massive one. Um, and it just goes on and on, and, 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 and all these different... Um, the World Wildlife Fund, you know, that was all a, all, all a sort of a land grabbing sort of thing. Well, Prince um, Bernhard of the Netherlands yeah. and and the Duke of Edinburgh. Yes, yeah. I mean, who are very um, heavily yeah. embedded in this kind of mm. 
land grab, freedom yeah. snatching. I mean, you look at look at Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands' history. I mean, he was. I think he worked with the Nazis, didn't he? I think he was. He was. Yeah, he, not not a good history there. Yeah, not a, not a, not a good history there. So these people have been around. Yeah, since way back. Well, they have a sense of entitlement, you see. I think they think that, that we are all literally little plebs running around, destroying, you know, taking up all the, all the oxygen, taking up all the, you know, whatever. Um, and that, that really they should have the right to, uh, you know, to be somehow, to be lords over the domain of the earth, you know. Well, like um, Babylonian, so, Babylonian um, yeah, princes exactly. or whatever. I mean, well, you know, it. Who knows what where this has all come from? I mean, I'm beginning to really think there's there is something. There's almost like history repeating itself constantly. Um, and you know, where you know, is there are there bloodlines involved? You know, what is going on here? I mean, I don't want to to get into that conspiracy thing because I don't have the proof. I only ever deal with facts, and what facts I've dealt with proves that there's a massive plan to actually destroy humanity i mean honestly the the whole thing with um i mean after you know obviously limits to growth was the first club of rome report that was all about population and depopulation and it was obvious i mean they, they you know there was that chap um what was his name um oh gosh he, he wrote the population bomb oh yes paul paul ehrlich Ehrlich, who, that's Yes. And, and of course, that bomb never went off. He wrote that in, 19, in the 1970s. Nin on 1968, the I think it was. Limits yeah. to growth. And, you know, the thing is that they have all these theories and none of it actually comes to anything because he made wild assumptions about the, the population would explode and that, that we wouldn't be able to feed half the world and or most of the world. And of course, all this was nonsense because, again, it was based on, on flawed computer models, you know, as we know from Neil Ferguson. They don't work, you know, the computer models never work. And if you're going to sort of rely on AI to make any decision for humanity, forget it. It's not going to work because it's, you know, humans are, are very interesting beings and they're quite creative and find ways around everything. And, you know, this is this is this is all kind of been a big plan. So they got the, the limits to growth. Then you had the redistribution of wealth to destroy the West and to to big up, you know, India and China. Um, to get every all the world's goods, you know, going through India and China. So we don't manufacture anything. So the West actually becomes impoverished. So we're about to become a third world country now. I mean, our, our GDP is dreadful. <laughs> and, you know, what, what's going to happen to us if we don't actually pull ourselves back up again, if the people don't take control of everything? And what happened with next was, I think, the, the last Club of Rome report was all about anthropogenic global warming because they called it the first global revolution and that's where they there was a, there's a quote in there that where they actually say the 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 enemy of humanity is man yes uh, and that that actually they can create um ways to actually pull us in and create um you know i think the quote i get no i, I don't it's in my book Wait, give me one second yes it, it's in in searching for an enemy yes <laughs> Because they're looking for an enemy, a scapegoat. Yeah. Thing is, as as you've discovered, you only have to read the documents. The, the, if, yeah. This is this is a conspiracy in plain sight, 
oh, a, a plain sight for anyone prepared to do a bit of digging. So oh, this is from the Council of the Club of Rome, yeah. 1991. And they're, they're totally upfront about it. They say, yeah. in searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea, came up with the idea. They, they thought about it and just plucked it out of thin air. That yeah. pollution, the threat of global warming, yeah. water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. The bill. Yeah, we'll All have... these dangers are caused by human intervention. The real enemy then is humanity it's... itself. It's... Yeah. And they've got another phrase as well. Another of their slogans was the earth has a cancer and the cancer it's... is man. Yeah. So, they, so they, they invented the problem in order that they could provide the solution. Problem, reaction, solution. It's the Hegelian dialect all over again. And that's what they use constantly. You know, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, you realise that if people actually really understood all this, would they be going along with all this stuff? Would they be going along with not using cash? Would they be going along with, you know, saying, oh, yes, to CBDCs? I, you know... This is a form of control. And, and of course, once we sign up to all that stuff, it's the end game, basically, because they will have control of everything and particularly our data. And then they can control us in the Chinese social credit system that they're setting up in the UK right now. I mean, we haven't got any time now. It's no. actually happening now. I, so. I, want to, I want to talk about that in a moment. But, but yeah. y you say that you don't feel comfortable talking about conspiracies because, you know, you've got to be able to prove it. But yeah. I'll give you an example of this. Um, Paul Ehrlich, his book, The Population Bomb, was a massive bestseller. I think it was 1968. And it created, it, it put in the public imagination the scare story. What I've learned in the last two or three years is that the publishing industry is as controlled by these people as any other branch of the entertainment industry. They, they are all over um, the all forms of media, all forms of entertainment, all forms of publishing, because that is how they control the narrative. So mm -hmm. Paul Ehrlich um, writes this book. He can be guaranteed that this book will become a bestseller because it, it is telling them it, it is telling the normies what the, the powers that be want them to hear. Therefore, the powers that be who control the publishing industry will promote this book. And, and then Ehrlich and people like Ehrlich get this thing called a MacArthur Genius Award, which is a, which is a, whop, a whopping sum of cash. And you look at the recipients of the was... MacArthur Genius Award. Now, who controls the MacArthur? Who funds the MacArthur Genius Award? The same people who want to promote this particular agenda, these shadowy, shadowy, rich people so you say if only the public woke up to to what is really going on i say yeah i wrote a book about this uh called watermelons which is which actually unlike unlike paul ellick's book tells the truth yeah. about what is going on it warns it goes goes through that the, their wicked plans it mentions the rio summit it mentions the malthusianism it mentions people all the things that are essentially lies which are fed to us so that they can advance their agenda how did my book do i mean it, it did squat i had to i had to do it with it for with a, a sort of small publisher a bite back it was never <laughs> going to be picked up by the big the big publishers so mm. never got got the traction that somebody like paul, paul ellick was this is how the world works it is a conspiracy and it is a conspiracy in plain sight i'm just going back to your document, which I think is fascinating, your 2,000-page document. Did you actually yeah. read all, all 2,000 um, pages? I've, I haven't read all of it. I've kind of skimmed through it. And 
picked out all the relevant things to what's happening with humanity um, because they, they do, it's all in scientific language, um, sort of environmental scientific language. It's, it, I think it costs three three $3.3 billion to produce. And it is actually, it's not- Really? It, yeah. It's Actually, just, I suppose it would do if it, if, if it, if it details every, every every resource in the world and how to and control it. What, what's extraordinary, that must have taken years to put together. And it was just released five, uh, three years after the Earth Summit. And, and it didn't happen overnight. That, that is a, a, a work that must have taken 10 years to write. Um, and yes. it, they, they just literally released it. And it was actually for, um, it was a su summary for policymakers. So that document goes to policymakers and that's how they implement environmental policy. So, so the, the civil service rather than, rather yeah, than, yeah. than elected not, politicians. Not the, local, not, not the general public. And um, so uh, that, that is how they, they kind of implemented all this in government, in, in governmental policy all over the world. So they had a policy for Indonesia, they had a policy for Malaysia, every, everywhere they had a policy for, for, you know, America, all over the world, they had policies. And all this has been brought in. And it kind of goes literally from from global to local, which is why we're seeing all of this happening in our in our localities. What, what does um, it look like, this document? Oh gosh, I wish I. I mean, is I know. I is it smartly? It is it smartly printed? Is it sexually laid out, or is it a, just a? Um, it's a very big. It's a, an enormous paperback, and it it has. Um, oh gosh, I wish I had it with me. Uh, well, how can I do? I mean, oh, I can't put anything. No. Is there a chat? No, just describe no. it. Use the special just method of it's, language. It's huge. Um, I can take a picture of it and show you. It's massive. It's about, I suppose, about so thick, uh, about that thick. Yeah. And it's got all these. Um, it's it's just this huge but the front cover is a very beautiful cover of a beach and uh, and sort of otters and you know sort of lovely you know loveliness forests and things sea otters so it's got a very nice front cover uh, and it's just called the global diversity assessment so what the, what they're trying to do is you know sort of make it look you know beautiful and this is this is the way our world could be it could be this beautiful utopian um you know, wilderness, because that's what they want it to be. They want it to be left to the wild so that they can control it. Uh, and the people are just nowhere to be seen. And that, 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 that theme runs right the way through, right the way through this, this policy document. So it is really <clears throat> over and over again, the theme is the humans have destroyed the planet. Therefore, they don't have access to, to, to all of this. And we are cataloguing every resource, every endangered species. We're going to save these species. It's all got to be managed by us. And, you know, the humans have just got to go. Have That's you ever showed it to a, a normie and as evidence that what you're saying is not bananas? Um, well, you know, I did go on tour all over England, um, you know, between, I suppose it must have been between 2014 and 20, 20, I think, I think 2019. Yeah. I went off on tour doing, you know, I was just, I'd, I'd sort of, I'd still got a business I was running where I live, but I used to take weekends off and I, I went on tour with um, 
with a couple of other people. I mean, it was Piers Corbyn who was talking about the weather and Mark Windows who was talking about communitarianism. And we did these tours. We they, they discovered me when I was talking at a festival in the West Country on Agenda 21. I was just really passionate about it. I used to talk anywhere and just talk about it. And of course it didn't go down well because it was, you know, a lot of these festivals are very green and I used to get heckled and people didn't like me very much. But I, I was very con convinced that, you know, my my you know my research was correct and that this is not a green policy it's fake green it's like your watermelons it's a watermelon agenda at the end yeah. of the day it's communist on the inside and it's green on the outside or commutarian or whatever you want to call it whatever you want to dress it up as uh, but ultimately they don't want anybody to own anything you know you've got to it's all got to be for the benefit of the community with some sort of overriding structure you know sort of controlling it all so i i started talking and and, and one day Piers corbyn and mark windows were there and they saw me speak and they said, oh, will you join us? We, we're thinking of setting up a tour. And I said, OK. So I went around um, doing this tour on climate change and Agenda <coughs> 21. And it was great because actually sometimes you'd be speaking in a, in a church hall with about 10 people. But those 10 people have been absolutely amazing in following the work I've been doing and actually are now realising, oh, my God, all those years ago, it's all coming true. What you said is all coming true. So I, you know, I do interact with as many normies as I can. In some ways, it's impossible, <coughs> excuse me, to convince some people um, uh, that, that this is, <coughs> oh, I do apologise. Don't die, Sandy, we need you. <laughs> I'll try not to die. But Bill Gates has got your number, that's the problem. Oh dear, has he? It probably has. Ooh. <coughs> yeah so that sowing those seeds when when pandemic hit all the people that you know we'd done these tours with have become real real movers and shakers in in whatever towns we went to ah followed our work and <coughs> it's a bit like christ and the apostles see mark now because he's living in bulgaria and uh pierce is always in I don't know he's always somewhere with a megaphone it's not my thing you know so I just uh, I just get on with talking speaking the truth as best I can on my own I'm, I'm going to try and set up some podcasting myself because um yeah I, I lost my business during lockdown I I, I took over a, a music venue when I left the corporate world and I ran it for 10 years but I couldn't go through all that nonsense of you know, perspex screen, screens and track and trace. So I just let it go. That was by design, I'm sure. They don't oh. like. They don't want us to meet up because when you, when we meet up, we <laughs> talk about these things. Yeah, exactly. And and that's it. They, they you know, the, the, the you know, the local pubs are all closing. You know, this is you know what what we love. I mean, what every everything about England that is so what quintessentially wonderful, they're destroying. And you know, England is you know, Britain is the most extraordinary country. And they have to break us. They really do, because we we kind of hold the, you know, if you like, with the blessed isles, we hold the key to everything that's that's wonderful. Yes. And you know, I think it really is a an assault, particularly on England, at the moment. Um, and we've just got to really, you know, stand firm. And well, I'm 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 with you, Sandy. So 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 your tour, you what you were talking to like. T literally 10 men and a dog yeah 10 men and women and a dog 
And yes, I mean, sometimes we had a, a, a big, depending where we went, really. Um, you know, some some places, yeah, you, you'd have ten men and a dog, or ten women and you know, men and women and a dog. Um, and uh, but in, in other places, like for instance, Bristol, it was great. We had a massive, massive, you know, amount of people come, and they were really, you know, they they were really switched on because Bristol at that time was being turned into the, the flagship smart city of Europe with all this 5G and, you know, Internet of Things. And, you know, Bristol's pretty hideous now. I mean, it's not the Bristol I knew. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's so sad. Oh, it's dreadful. Um, you think this great port city. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Um, and, and so there were certain places, you know, where Sussex was amazing. Haining Island, we had a massive, massive room full of people. And it just depended where you were and how awake they were. Um, I think that the place where we found it really difficult was Brighton. We just got banned from Brighton every single time because it's so woke. It's interesting, though, you say that, because I, I was listening to you to, to, uh, to try and get tips on, on where are going to be the last strongholds. But you, I was thinking you and I met at an amazing event that a group mm. in Stroud held mm. for me in this gorgeous gorgeous chapel which they lit with candles and and it was so wonderful the, the, the d delicious food was made for me and they really looked after me and i was feeling rotten because i just had my mercury fillings taken out and i was having a bad reaction and i was really i was feeling a bit weird that evening but the, the love from the the audience but what they what they told me the stroud the stroud folk the awake stroud people told me was that there are these two very bitterly divided well th these two camps in stroud there are the the insane greenies who want to shut people like you and me down and then there are the awake people it's almost as though the example of bristol which is which is another incredibly woke woke <coughs> town i mean I, I went to see a greta thunberg rally there once to, to report yes. on on that the, the, the weird scene but it seems like People who are receptive to the stupid ideas of the eco-fascist movement are also also susceptible to our ideas if only they choose the right path. Mm. And and that's it. You see, I think there's a lot of well-meaning people out there. Yeah. You know, the very fact that that you get people gluing themselves, you know, for all the wrong reasons to, um, you know, to buildings and 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 bridges and what have you. Uh, and stopping traffic, it means that they care. Now, they, they may be on the wrong track, but they care, and they care enough to do things like that. Yeah. Um, the trouble is that they they haven't got the right information, and and that is, that is the sad bit. And the people that do have the right information don't do all that, not a lot anyway. I mean, I was very heartened when we had the rallies in London, but... You know, they, they weren't covered by the mainstream media. Um, and, you know, so it didn't I, happen. You know, I was on several where there was over a thousand of us. And, you know, we I didn't catch anything. You know, everybody was locked down and wearing masks and everything. And it was the most beautiful experience with marching through London with like minded people who actually understood what is really going on. But, you know, I, I wonder, is is this tsunami of 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 conscious, you know, maybe things haven't got bad enough. Do you know what I mean? People only wake up when things get really bad. And I'm just wondering when that point will come, because when they'll join the dots, when they'll actually realise that this is a long-term plan, 
it's always been there and it's just being and i think you know i have to say the the powers that are pushing this like the world economic forum you know the governments of the world klaus you know the, the you know the the club of rome or or whoever is behind all this it's almost as though they're getting really desperate you know they tried with greta i mean greta was really pushing 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 and people just had a not a, such a good reaction towards her so then then we had the pandemic now people have woken up to that that you know maybe things were a little bit wonky with the with the treatments that they were taking for that and you know that we were locked up for no good reason and all this sort of thing and all our businesses failed and you know all of this kind of thing when will people actually say enough's enough we have to stop this um and what i'm worried about is this whole you know encroachment of the cbdc's is coming under the radar they're trying to push it under the radar yeah and you know once they've got us they you know that's it the end game and it's about really trying to get everybody on board to just say no to just you know there's sacredness in the word no it's our protection yeah and a lot of people find it difficult just to say no um yes they think, oh well it's the government and appealing to authority and all that sort of thing and you know we've got to realize that actually they don't have our best interests at heart and that we have to really wake up and oppose uh, things my, my my theory on on this is that they recognize that they pushed too hard during during um the alleged pandemic mm. and when they pushed the vaccines and i think they got much more pushback than they expected many more people didn't take the clot shot than they had hoped mm. and i think they learned a lesson from this which is that it's better to administer death by a thousand cuts or, or, or the boiling frog tech slow boiling frog technique rather than direct confrontation so i think we're in this this stage where they are pushing forward their plan by increments a bit like um uh oh what's it called the uh one of the people who founded the the lse the uh, the fabians the fabians yes, yeah the it, fabians yeah it's so so they advance by by stealth rather than sort of full frontal assault mm. and this is what we're we're ex experiencing now I, I had a good example of this on on I, I had a uh before this recording i i had an episode of london calling with <laughs> with, with with toby young and yeah. it seems to me an open open and shut case that that britain is now experiencing almost soviet levels of censorship yes um in some areas so for example the biggest story i think right now i mean before we move on to cbdc's and stuff is the fact that lots and lots of people have been injured or killed by this by this vaccine that they forced on us the vaccine that isn't a vaccine that was unnecessary in the first place but this ought to be all over the papers this ought to be a really big story mm -hmm. and we have an organization called ofcom one of whose jobs apparently is to stop any of the broadcast media even gb news reporting on this major major story so when i tried arguing this case with with my my good friend toby young toby's line was well this is what the regulator says so gb news has to more or less toe the line but that seems to me a very weak take that, that, that mm -hmm. surely 
the, the issue is the government is stopping us speaking out about vaccine injuries. Never mind what what Ofcom says or what the regulation says. It's like saying, well, I'm sorry, the rules are that 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 people must be rounded up in death camps. So what can exactly. you do? I mean, there's the there's the rules. The same. I mean, this the same tactics as Nazi Germany, basically. It's, yeah. um, oh, those are the rules and we have to abide by them. And that's what we do. No, you know, there's no integrity there. Is this right or is this wrong? Yes, you that's, know, that's it. the problem. It's, it's about ethics. Yeah. And um, nobody, nobody's questioning whether this is actually ethical. And that's the problem. Tell you know, me about 15 wanna... minutes it is. What's what's going on? What, what are they well, about? Um, at the moment, I, you know, it, it, it's it's. They're, they're holding a big rally on the on the 18th of, of June. I, I can't be, be there because I'm elsewhere. But um, uh, there's a big rally against it. But unfortunately, I mean, uh, it, they're, they're just bringing this, the, you know, Oxford is the test case, along with Canterbury and Cambridge, I think, and there might be one other, I can't remember. Um, but they're, they're not allowing people uh, on, I think you're allocated I think it's a, a certain amount of days that you can that you can actually enter the town in your car. And if you live in a certain zone for five of those days, you can't. For two of those days, you can enter the city. But there's some people that, for instance, you know, they might have elderly relatives that they need to look after yeah. the other side of town or they might have children to go to school the other side. Yes. Of town. What do they do? Do they catch buses and walk when it's raining? You know, what do you do? I mean, this, you know, this is a the most ridiculous i mean like most of their their plans they are ridiculous they're you know they're, they're absurd um because there's no reason i mean i've had friends who've tested the emissions in oxford there's no there's no problem with emissions i mean everybody's got catalytic converters on their cars but you know the co2 is 0.0 i think it's 0.4 um you know particulates in the in the air co2 is not a problem it never has been as you no. know so why? Why would they be doing this other than to control the people and to make life miserable and for people and to get rid of cars? Because that's what they really want. I mean, everywhere you go, you've got massive cycle lanes and the cars are all squished into maybe one or two lanes or one lane. I, I've seen this in London and that causes congestion. And then they say, oh, there's too much congestion. Therefore, we've got to get rid of cars. Not that yes. there's, there's too many cycle lanes and, you know, everybody's cycling because you've pushed everybody into cycling uh, because you say it's saving the planet. I mean, th this is all a nonsense, isn't it? So how are they reacting in these 15 minutes? I, I, I think, is it, is it Sheffield, I think, has, has, has said pretty much no, but nobody yeah, else. Has... I think there's a big, there is a big, big reaction at the moment. I think that people in Oxford are beginning to, to see it. Uh, Canterbury also. I mean, I'm doing a talk down in Canterbury on the 4th of March. So I'm, I'm hoping that people are waking up and realising that this has got absolutely nothing to do with any environmental issue whatsoever. It's not saving the planet. It is actually a means of control. And that's all they want to do is control movement, freedom of movement. And this is a big issue. You know, freedom of movement, freedom of speech, freedom of everything. Is, is is being challenged at the moment by our governments yeah um, yeah i've heard you talking about digital um digital identity <laughs> digital digital what tell me about that 
Well, the thing is that the, the, they brought, uh, the government have, again, through the back door, um, published a, a consultation, a government consultation, on um, uh, the debt identity verification, they call it. And the, it, it, they published it sort of, I think it was the 4th of January, when everybody just had Christmas a bit hungover, yes. first week back to work, blah, blah, blah. So they, they published it, but they didn't tell anyone, they didn't advertise it. And a few of us stumbled on it, and I thought, oh, my God, this is awful, because it, you had literally from the 4th of January till the 1st of March to fill it in. And when I went and looked at it, it was the most complicated document you've ever seen. It was just unbelievably trick questions, and it was it was 32 pages long, um, of which about 15 of them were stuff you had to fill in. Um, and it was really um, almost trying to... Uh, you know how the tell you know it's a bit like Delphi technique. They were trying to sort of bring you to a pre predetermined outcome with the wording of the questions. It's like, you know, what do, what is it? What is it about identity verification that is a good thing? And um, what what do you like about it? And all this sort of thing. <laughs> Don't like any of it. So I, I I did I did break it down and I did a little talk with Clive de Carl. I don't know if you know Clive. Mm. I did a, a little breakdown of all the questions um, for you know on a PDF so that people if because pe actually you need about two or three hours to go through it properly and fill it in. Who who can do it's that? It's designed to ward who, off. Who responses. can do that? No one can do that. So I thought, well, I'll I'll do a bit of homework for everyone. I'll be benevolent and I filled it all in. And I published it on, on, under Clive's thing, and I, I'll, I will be putting it up on my website. I, my website went down the other day, not surprising me. It keeps going down. I have to get back to my uh, my domain people and my site ground and get it put back up again. So I haven't put that on there yet, but I will do. But it's, you know, the whole thing is designed for you not to want to do it. Now, had this been a census, they would have put a hard copy through everyone's door and they would have advertised it on breakfast television and said, look, if you don't fill it in, you'll get fine. But this has been sort of snuck in because they really don't want anyone to oppose it. And this week now they've they've brought in uh, the the um, oh, what's it called? The. Uh, the same consultation, same same kind of consultation, but this is this time it's for the digital pound that has to be in by June. So I've got to do the whole process over again. And I looked at it this morning, the digital pound, you know, consultation. It's way more complicated than the last one, the verification, you know, ID verification. So it's just like you constantly got to do your homework and try and spoon feed people to filling it in because otherwise you know i do think a lot of people say oh well, you you have to be sovereign and just say no we don't consent to it the thing is that this is a parliamentary process and actually the very fact they hid it means they don't want you to fill it in all the more reason to fill it in and as it's a parliamentary process it will have to be debated if you fill it in and say no so i think there's there's a lot of traction in filling it in i'm sorry to all those people that say oh you know you straw man and all this sort of thing and don't fill it in and but I, I think it is it is worth filling in. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Funny enough, my, my reaction was was rather well. You know, anything the government does is you know let's, <coughs> let's live outside the system, blah blah blah. But you're absolutely right. One has to use their process yeah. against them because yeah. at the moment it's all we've we've got. Now, I suppose a lot of people are going to be thinking, well, digital ID. You know, I've already given away all my personal information on Facebook. Um, it, it'll make things. I, I'm, I'm happy just putting a card, you know, 
making it go bleep and the money's dealt with, you know, so much easier than cash. You don't have to carry cash. And this will be an extension of that. They'll be going, well, you know, having all my information in one place, I haven't broken the law. What have I got to lose? It's convenient. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good idea to have all your information in one place. I mean, we've been encouraged all the time to have different passwords to get into different things, you know, your bank account, you know, you're encouraged to have different passwords. So to have all your information in one place is a bad idea, particularly in the hands of the Cabinet Office. I don't trust the Cabinet Office. This is the this is the department that were nudging us to different, you know, psychological, you know, just nudging us psychologically to, uh, you know, to go go along with things. And I, I feel that the Cabinet Office have, have rolled this out. Um, and they're, they're saying, really, that they, they, they're going to share it with government departments. And there's a whole list of government departments that they're going to share it with. And so your data can be shared with all sorts of government departments, you know, your health insurance. Yeah. And actually, the health one, they said they weren't. But that's being dealt with Yet. differently. That, that will be dealt with by NHSX, the app that you will have to. That's another thing. <laughs> Talking about uh, what, what's happening to the NHS, that's a whole other show, I think. But um, to be honest, they, they, they have what they have failed to say is that there's a raft of stakeholders underpinning this because it's stakeholder capitalism. This is the new currency that they want to. It's a, it's a bit like going back to the 1930s when they were trying to get rid of the price based economy, trying to get rid of capitalism. They're doing it this way by getting rid of of um, uh, using your data as a new form of currency. It's data. Data is the new gold and the data, as well as your carbon uh, score, is going to be the way that your bank account will work um, in, you know, they'll give you a UBI, universal basic income, but um, they will also be monitoring everything you do. So everything comes at a cost. So if you sign up to the CBDCs or the digital ID, particularly the digital ID, because that has to come first, then the CBDCs, which is why they've done the consultations in that order. So when when you when you actually say, yes, OK, I'll put all, give you all my data, I'll, I'll sign up for this uh, digital identity. Um, they can then it's almost like a privilege. They can take away your ability to goods, you know, to access goods and services if you misbehave a bit like, this, you know, Chinese social credit system. So. If you haven't got enough carbon credits or you've said something you shouldn't have, like we're doing now online, they can actually, act, you know, just say, well, sorry, you can't access your bank account. Oh, you can't have UBI or you can't have uh, the goods that you wanted to buy in that supermarket because the biometrics are going into supermarkets. They're going in everywhere, into banks, supermarkets, hospitals, these biometrics where they will be accessing your data. So as you're authenticating because everything will have to be authenticated by your facial recognition. In that process, they will be looking at every single part of your lives, where you shop, what you buy, where, what do you do in your spare time? What is it? What's, you know, what kind of health conditions have you got? All of this will be in one place for the government to look at and be able to use against you. And so, I'm sorry to say that, but that's what they'll do. Have you wondered about the people who are pushing this stuff particularly the sort of the ceos and the senior politicians and so on who are just going along with this stuff 
What's the, what's their game plan? Do they think that they're going to be exempt from this stuff? I mean, do, do they think that they're are they happy to eat crickets and and and, and vegan food? Um, or do, do they think they're going to be somehow on a special <coughs> a special um, escape raft? Well, you know, it, it you know the proof is the way they act now. I mean, Davos, you know, for instance, they're flying their private jets into Davos. Do they care about the carbon the carbon you know, sort of issue. Uh, they're, they're all fine. I mean, if you if you look at the, the runway, you know, it, it's full of private planes, private jets that have flown from all over the world. So no, they don't care. They do what they like. And if you look at if you looked at the menu that they ate from at Davos as well, I don't know whether you saw that. Did you see the menu? I, I imagine it wasn't crickets. It wasn't crickets. It was it was venison and and beef Wellington and very very fancy puddings. You know. Okay. Lots, yeah, they, they, so that's, they, yeah, but that's the but 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 Sandy, that's the that's the Davos people. We understand that the super rich are obviously yeah. going to act like that. But I'm talking about you think about all the people who are well. I mean, even the Toby Youngs of this world, the the the, 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 the all all the journalists in the mainstream media, or all, all the well paid commentators who are not calling this stuff out. What can you just rationalise what's going on in their heads? Do they well, think they're going to be exempt? I th no, I, they won't be exempt. I mean, I, th I, I, you know, Toby's great. You know, we know, you know, he, he writes really well and, and all that stuff. I feel it, there's sometimes he's just a bit naive. And I, do, I don't want to get it. Yes, you're right. I don't want to focus on Toby's because Toby's actually. Sorry, you know, no, I didn't mean that. No, no, no. I know I brought him up, but Toby's is fighting yeah. a, fighting um, but, you know, fight think, on his I level. I think there's some people, some, I, I won't, you know, focus on him, but there, I think there's a lot of people in the media who are just still not understanding that, there is, there is proof that this is a plan. And if they actually understood that, then they would probably rise up against it and, and say something. I mean, they're all worried about their jobs and Ofcom. I mean, that's the problem. So short, they're worried about the short term. They're worried about the short term and they cannot the think term, beyond yeah, their noses. They the long term, the, the long term implications of what is really happening in the world that we've only got until March before, you know, it's rolled out. Uh, I mean, really, they want they want they want the digital ID in place by December of this year. That that really is the end game of of, you know, if, if they manage to do that, it's the end, end game of our privacy, you know, our privacy being sold on to third party stakeholders and our data being used as a currency on the blockchain with non fungible tokens. That is what will happen. And I just wish people would listen and understand that this is the world we're facing. And it's not conspiracy. It's all there for everyone to see. And people are just going, Ooh, I'm not getting it. No, I don't think. Okay. So um, before you go off and do your babysitting, um, Tell us what, what we can do. Because as I understand it, I, I, I listened to your podcast with um, Richard, Richard Vobes. Oh, yeah. And, and you were saying it's not enough to say, or it's not even an option to say, I don't like digital currency, uh, digital ID. It's uh, an intrusion on my personal space. You, you have to have specific mm. objections. Yeah. Um, mainly because I, I did a bit of research and it was, uh, it was um, Taiwan managed to get rid of digital ID um, in 2017. That was the first attempt and they batted it off and they did it also in 2021. And they used very rational uh, reasons for not having digital ID. 
And yeah, you can, you can say, oh, I think you're going to use my data and you're going to rule the world and take away our privacy and, you know, control us. But they'll just say, no, we won't. No, we won't. You're, that's mad. You're a conspiracy theorist. But if you if you have provable harms that have happened historically uh, through um, uh, having, you know, sort of, uh, you know, having this centralised information system, um, you can say, well, actually, it can be hacked. Um, it can be hacked more easily if all your data is in one place. Yep. And that, you know, it could be under uh, a threat of cyber attack. And we all know cyber attacks have happened in the past. And even, you know, even even the globalists would admit that, yes, that's happened. Um, so you can say, well, you're in danger of cyber attack. That's a provable harm because you have to prove that it's going to harm us in some way. And so you can also say, well, uh, you can ha you're, you're open to identity fraud, which happens all the time, and it will happen even more if all your data is in one place. So identity fraud, banking fraud, you can say that. You can also say that, um, for instance, there's a, a digital divide that, that treats people because they, they go on and, uh, about diversity and equality and does this in any way impact adversely to some members of society and i said well yeah there's a digital divide old older people won't understand all this they won't even be able to access the consultation because they possibly don't know how to use a computer or or indeed a, a smartphone so uh, you know in a way it, it adversely affects cer certain sectors sectors of society and i also made a point of saying about hyper vulnerable you know people who might have men mental um issues and the, the teenagers and children who access these technologies might well um, not understand that their data is being collected and maybe giving information that could actually make them vulnerable. So I've said that as well, and that's true. You know, we've had people being groomed and, and all sorts of things because their, their data has been picked up by somebody who's not very nice. So I, I just used those 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 things, you know, those okay. arguments, you know, yeah. And is there any way of conveying these messages to the government without having to spend two hours filling in all the, the wank bits? <laughs> well, you could, um, you could, uh, I, I don't know where to put, you know, I could actually send, I don't know, send this document. I, I, I filled it all in and said, look, do this. You know, I've highlighted Cause it. Will be a, uh, Sandy, it will be a deal breaker for a lot of people. People will think, yeah, I want to fight okay. the fight, but can I be asked to put, put, put exactly. aside two hours well, of my life? Yeah, I mean, sh should I just send it to you? And I don't know. I don't know. So we'll send it to me apart from anything okay. else. But let's, let's try yeah. and find a way that people, presumably they should be, I mean, my MP is you know, part of the, well, every MP, I think apart from Andrew Bridgen is, is now spoken for by the system yeah uh, they're all really part sad. of it but yeah. but presumably they are obliged if you email them if you they've got to respond but but one needs to know what the formal structure is that one can best use against them um <clears throat> i think i think it's just you know it, it it is actually sort of trying to get over i mean i was i was you know the the guy on the on the consultation is a guy called Andrew Burkhart, who's an MP. Of the, he works for the Cabinet Office, and he's the one that sort of pushed this out. You know, sort of sending sending your objections to to him and saying, look, you know, I, I feel that this is against it is against all our rights and freedoms to be, uh, you know, having our data just bandied about and used, you know, uh, uh, for third party interests, you know, to be sold on to third parties. So. 
you know, it's about really making your your MPs aware of it as well. I, you know, maybe it's just doing that, just at least showing that you, you you're not happy about it. Okay. Um, uh, there must be charities that could actually back us up, you know, things like Unity and what's that other one? Uh, there's plenty of charities that, that are there for our human rights. They should be picking up on this. Yeah, the time is short. Can. They're not going, you know, people... They're not people, going to. No, no, they're not going to. Okay. Um, and before you go, um, you, you, you told me that you have some good news, that it's not all going their way. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think what they're doing is, is accelerating it far too quickly... Um, and literally, they've been doing this for a while, and they did, you know, they, they did this whole thing with the with the pandemic. That that, in a way, to a lot of people, is waking people up. And I do believe that without all of this, we would not have reached this level. And there is a, a level of conscience, consciousness happening throughout humanity where their their eyes are being opened. Um, maybe not to the degree that we'd like at the moment, but there is this, this huge silent majority. Uh, even when you go out, I don't know if you've noticed, James, when you go out and talk to people, maybe, you know, in the supermarket or in the gym or whatever you do, or the hunt, whatever, where people are, are actually going, yeah, it's getting really bizarre. It's getting really bizarre and strange. And, and what's it all about? Well, maybe, you know, they could actually join the dots. You know, maybe they could actually see... And I think there's this massive tsunami of, of people understanding that there's something horribly wrong and there needs to be a little bit of a push. And I don't know how it will happen. Will they go, the penny dropped? No, we're not having it. And I think the, the British are a bit like that. We're far too tolerant. We're tolerant and then we snap and then we think, no, actually, that's a step too far. Um, and I think that's the problem with us, us Brits, is that we, we allow something to go on and on and then we go, ooh, no, maybe not. And I'm feeling that maybe not thing uh, a huge amount. And I think that, that, you know, they have failed in the past with, with things, you know, the technocracy movement failed for whatever reason. I think the world, you know, and I think there's a divine plan. Something will kick in. I, I don't honestly feel that, that, that this will be, this level of evil will be allowed to happen. But we have to take action in order to have help from whoever that from the divine or whatever i'm sorry what to we, go divine but no 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 you should yeah what, what we didn't talk about which which came out in in that first podcast i heard you on we, we we can talk about this another time but you think that there is something essentially you you look through all the documentation of the new world order and you are you you have inferred that this is essentially luciferian or satanic yes i think it is yeah i, I you know can you just I, give me I, some examples briefly well, the United Nations have a very strange um, bunch, really, um, and they their, their publishing company is, um, is is the Lucis Trust, which used to be called the Lucifer Trust. Um, and there's various. Oh, I wish I had the quotes with me, but there's various people within the United Nations that have said in the past, you know, you have to bow down to Lucifer, and uh, you know, certain countries if they don't adopt, you know, the, the you know the the policies of the United Nations will live to regret it because they're, they're you know, and they've got this awful prayer room in New York. Have you seen it? The one with the big, the black, the big black stone in it, which is satanic, you know, which is Luciferian. And it's, um, it's six point 
six six tons of megaton. I think it's mega megatite or something. Some sort of. Is it really six point six six? Yeah, and and, and, and funny and that it's it's you know, and they say, oh, this is a pantheistic. Um, you know, prayer room. So basically you can be a Luciferian and go and pray there if you want, or a Satanist or a, you know, and a Christian or a Muslim. You could, you know, it's for everyone. It, you know, it's a commutarian prayer room. You can be whatever you like and all this sort of thing. And there's something that, there's something about all the plans they have are anti-human and anti-nature. So, you know, this whole, also they're trying to financialize nature. They're trying to financialize a human being. They're trying to make this uh, sort of almost like a godlike, you know, they, they, they just want to control everything. They think they're gods, you know. Yes, well, they want, they want to replace God. Yes. By, by God has to be wiped out of the, of, the, of the whole thing. And I don't know whether you saw this week that um, uh, they're, they're trying to, uh, I, think it's the, I think it's the Protestant church, the Anglican church have said that God has to be gender neutral now. And you just think, well... Got a well, of course, the, the, the Luciferianism is, is, is very into um, the sort of, the, the, there are no sexes, we are all one, we all become, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was thinking about, I, was, I saw this play the other day about Gore Vidal, um, and Gore Vidal wrote this book in a bestseller in the 1970s called Myra Breckenridge about this, this man who becomes a woman and then becomes a man again. They, th these elites, yeah. I hate to use that word, they sow these ideas. It, it's, yeah. it's predictive programming. They've been working on to this agenda for a very long time. Um, before you go, one, one final thing I wanted to ask you. When you were designing your sets for these, for Bill Gates and Eric Schmidt and stuff, was there any kind of, were you steered towards doing stuff that colors you know like like purple is a satanic color or were you, were you influenced in 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 a kind of luciferian direction um no not at all actually i've got to be honest no i was given pretty much free reign um i think the i think the luciferian part in my eyes was the was the ai that was going in and i think right. there is a there's something about ai is is unfortunately what it does yeah, the, the, uh, I just got a bad reaction about the, you know, the, the, the level of artificial intelligence that was going in and how it could be used, you know, for, for not very good purposes and that we would rely too much on it and that it would actually somehow take the power away from the human. Um, and, you know, there, there is this whole thing with, with, with AI um, that, you know, we talk about alien invasions, you know, in some respects, the it's already happened you know it's in it's in rna it's in it's in the the ai that's going into our cities you know that that is the alien invasion <laughs> you know it's not anything external not little yeah. men or whatever you know we're getting it we're getting it now and the thing is that it does separate us from our souls you know it it actually that's it it takes the humanity um out of the you know if we engage with it too much you know, that they want the transhumanism. They want to take and turn us into cyborgs. I know people think that's crazy, but this is this is what they talk about. And, and this is all in the World Economic Forum's uh, website and Elon Musk, you know, enmeshing the human flesh with with the with the AI. This is this is what they want. They don't want us to be human. They want us to be part part AI and then fully AI and get rid of the humans altogether. The Malthusian yeah. thing. So. 
you know, it's it's all a big plan. And if we, if people want that, you know, that's what we're going to get. But we have to really, most people I'm sure wouldn't want that. So we have to really, really stand up and say, no, absolutely not. We do not want this. We don't consent to it. It's not what we, you know, human beings were, were, were born for on this planet. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's been and, and thank you for all the all the thank you for fighting the fight before many <laughs> of us were. Thanks for, for letting me talk about fighting the fight. <laughs> um, please tell us where we can find more of your stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not on Twitter. I've got to I'm told I've got to go onto Twitter. I'm scared of Twitter. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit low key, actually. I've always been slightly under the radar. I'm on Facebook. I have a website, which is uh, sandyadams.net. Uh, that's all about the history of Agenda 21 and how we got to where we are. I haven't put up an awful lot of stuff recently because it went down, but I'm rectifying that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, contact me on Facebook Messenger if you want to contact me. And yeah, I think I'm, you should it, definitely put up your explainer for what to do about the digital thing yeah, on your site ASAP. I'll and it's a hassle, website, but, but and think, I'll put it on Facebook as well. I can put that on Facebook. It's a PDF. So people can um, be able to um, look at it and, and just, you know, just copy it if they want to. They might want to change the wording, but, you know, it's all done. And I think that's the trouble is they know we're all chasing our tails. We're all busy. We lead very busy lives because of all this. Um, and we, yeah, sometimes we don't have time to spend all that time, you know, filling in long, ridiculous consultations and they know it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone... Do as Sandy says, it, 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 you know, it, it, okay. <laughs> may as well nip it I'm in the bud now. Hands through it, okay? <laughs> um, it only remains for me to say thank you for, for, to my viewers and listeners. Look, if you like what I do, please support me. The, the powers that be, the people that Sandy and I have been talking about, desperately do not want me to, to, to make a living. They don't want me to, me to get any money. They, 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 they try all sorts of tricks against me. Um, just for that reason alone, never mind what you think about, about me, you, you, just what I do, just please support me on, on Substack, on, on Patreon, on, on Locals and on Subscribestar. Buy me a coffee, um, buy a special friend badge, come to my events. I really appreciate your support and I, and I need it because it, it's going to get a lot tougher. Um, find whatever way suits you. They, 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 they seem to be on a mission to stop, to encourage your bank to question your payment to my to my to my business they'll, they'll try every trick in the book don't let the bastards get away with it thank you very much and thank you again sandy thank you really appreciate thank you james it's been great bless you thanks a lot okay bye bye